Welcome to the Electri International series, Think Like a Leader. We all enjoy hearing another person's success story, and we hope our conversations with leaders from across the electrical construction industry will help spark your interest and creativity in finding ways you can think like a leader. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of Electri International's Think Like a Leader. Today, we're with Luke Cool, who is the chapter executive for the St. Paul chapter, Minnesota, obviously. He's been there eight years, and he's served as chapter manager, chapter executive for seven years. So, Luke, thank you very much for making time to speak with us today. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, I love this uh, this podcast and I'm excited to, to be part of it since I, I've listened to so many. You reference the importance, and I've heard you reference the importance and challenges of solving hard problems. So how do you define visionary leadership? If leadership is all about solving hard problems, how do you lead? What makes it happen for you? Yeah, I think that visionary leadership to me is is having having the courage to ask the question and that, that's step one step two is having the courage to follow the answers that you get and be able to have uh, a discerning um a discerning taste as to how to how to move forward so if you're afraid to ask the question you're not going to get anywhere if you're afraid to listen to the answers you're not going to get anywhere and if you do both of those but can't discern what's good or bad or, or more or less likely it's difficult to have that visionary leadership. So to me, visionary leadership is kind of taking those three steps and hopefully doing the best you can every time uh, at each one of those steps. Do you think that leadership today is markedly different than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, or even from when you started as chapter executive in St. Paul? Has it changed a lot? I'd say it's changed a ton. Um, and and I think we're going to see more change. I guess I'd, I'd answer that question in kind of two ways. The first one is just going back from when, even when I started as a chapter manager. Uh, when I started as chapter manager, we had a physical office. Today, we do not have a physical office. When I started as chapter manager, if I wanted to find something, I had to go through a file cabinet worth of stuff and find it. Now it's all in the cloud. I can, I can word search it. Um, when I started as a chapter manager every time i wrote a first draft of a paper i needed to do it myself i didn't have chat gpt to write the first draft for me um when i started as chapter manager my board uh the average age of my board was well into its 60s now the average age of my board is much younger we've had a tremendous turnover in in the leadership struck uh in the leadership of our of our chapter uh so i think yeah it's changed a lot i think Technology is going to continue to move us. Uh, kind of going back, you're saying like even further back, I kind of think we need to get back to the leadership of, I'll call it 1901 leadership. Nika was founded by a group of, of electricians, electrical contractors, 1901 in Buffalo, New York. And what were they doing? They were trying to organize something that didn't exist. There wasn't an electrical construction industry at that time, at least not in most places, maybe in the New Yorks and Chicago's you had it, but in most areas, you didn't have an industry. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to organize an industry. And it took them a ton of vision, a ton of resources, a ton of trust in one another to build that industry. And that, that, took, that took 50 years. 
And then after 50 years, they we built up a strong enough relationship with the IBW to catapult us for the next 70 years in trying to like fine tune what that industry looks like. I think we have to go back to that 1901. I think the technology is changing so fast these days. We need to go back to 1901 leadership and say, what's the industry going to look like in the next 10 years? It, it might be drastically different. How do we start um, asking those hard questions and, and reassessing where we're at? Because unlike our predecessors who had 50 years to organize an electrical construction market within the building trades and within within the construction industry, and then you know 70 years to kind of uh, standardize it across a, a unionized building trades. The next 20 years, you could see those cycles lasting five years each. Technology is moving so much quicker and there's so many uh, new things that are that are going to drive change. It's not the way it was five years ago. And I think we need to start thinking more like it was 1901. So, okay. Some people say, you included, that innovation is essential to leadership. It's It's got to be part of your DNA. But other people get antsy about it, and they talk about it as, oh, I don't want to be chasing that fad. So what steps do you take to ensure that you're trying new and innovative things that are actually worth your time and effort? How do you balance finding the right things from the fad things? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, it, and it, I think going back to what visionary leadership is, is you can't be afraid to ask the question, what, you know, is it the way that is the way we're doing it the right way? The answer could be yes. The answer is we've been doing it this way for so long because that has been proven it, you know, we've gone through an entire evolution and this is the most efficient way to do it. The answer could be yes. The answer could be no. The answer could be no. And in which case we got to try something new. And uh, I think the way to do that is to say nothing's permanent. You can try a lot of different things. And if they don't work out right away, you can move on to the next thing. So do you have some specific technologies or tricks up your sleeve that you use to get your St. Paul chapter members to pay attention to worthwhile innovations? How do you, how do you get them to say, ah, Luke, go away. I've heard it all before. Well, uh, you, you can't. You can't be uh, d- dissuaded by people that say that. Um, certainly, you should take their advice and figure ask them why they feel that way because you can learn something that way. Uh, but you know, it's this is an education game. It's an education game with contractors. You have some contractors that are very sophisticated. They're very large. They have entire technology branches of their own in, of their own, own own organization. And then you have the smaller contractors or, or contractors that perhaps are less interested in it. And for us as a chapter, uh, and what we try to do is to try and educate them and try to educate. Say, you know, here's something that Electric put out that says something about that we're interested in. Uh, another option that we've been using recently is we we have a statewide limited energy JATC. So it's a standalone JATC uh, apprenticeship program just for limited energy in Minnesota. And we've been having our training director there come out to our board, come out to our board and membership meetings and explaining the technology that he's seeing on the horizon. Um, it's an education game. We need to educate our contractors in order for us to be successful in educating the union, we need to convince our contractors that this is the way that things are going when we need to be united in bringing the union along in the next step of education. 
Now, your chapter has more than 100 members. So that means there's a lot of information out there about a lot of different companies and a lot of different ways that they do things. And you have referenced the importance of collecting and leveraging data about how that needs to be part of what makes you successful. How cooperative are your EC members in providing the data that you need in order that you can best represent them and their needs? Are they are they willing to give you what you need? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's a discussion. I was first gonna go back. We have about 110 contractors that uh, union, con- signatory contractors that do work in our jurisdiction in any given year. We have 42 or 43 members currently. Um, and so we do push out a lot of information to all signatories. And then every week we put out a five minute, uh, basically a podcast that we email out to all of the members in both St. Paul and Minneapolis, uh, giving an update on what happened in the week. And in that those instances, we often highlight technological things or papers that, that Electri put out or surveys that Electri is doing. In terms of getting contractors to provide information, it, you're walking a fine line. You, in order for uh, me to go to a contractor and say, you know, take ten minutes and provide me this information, I need to come back to them at some point and say, you invested ten minutes in me. Here's here's what you get, and this is something valuable to the industry for X, Y, and Z reasons. Uh, because the more you go to contractors and the less, and if they don't see any outcome coming out the other way that that they find value in, then it's difficult to come back the next time and say, I want more information. One of the things that we've been then struggling with locally is uh, our our local economy hasn't come back since COVID. So we're still below hours uh, relative to pre-COVID times. And we're slowly gr- growing back. But during that time, our the union membership has shrunk. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to build that membership back. And one of the things that we need to do to convince the union to help build back is to have information about what contractors think their workforce needs are gonna be. Well, let's talk about workforce for a minute. Um, Everybody is talking about preparing and retaining the next generation workforce. It's on everybody's mind. And we know that one important factor is getting students involved earlier and earlier. Has your chapter's involvement with um, efforts like the Lake Street Works, has that program helped improve the number of high school students who want to take the next step toward becoming skilled trade workers? Is that a good fit with your chapter? Yeah, and Lake Street Works is a fabulous program. It's in uh South Minneapolis, it represents the area where uh, George Floyd was murdered. It's uh, part of a larger organization that's been investing in urban infrastructure in that, you know, 10 block area for decades. Uh, Prince used to play on their on their youth basketball team. Places like that, they're helping reach a very specific uh, urban population that will bring people into the industry that probably wouldn't have access or knowledge about it. But we have other programs, Construction Careers Foundation. I sit on the board of that, say with David Manderson from the from the Minneapolis chapter, the executive director from the Minneapolis chapter. They're in middle schools and high schools, helping them develop curriculum for the trades, building trades wide. It's not electric specific. Um, 
I'm on the board of an organization called Building Strong Communities, which is put together by the by the state building trades unions uh, and supported by the contractors that are helping reach out to underrepresented populations and bringing them into the construction trade. So, yes, we're trying to do all of that. We're trying to bring as many people into the industry as possible. We're trying to do it uh, thoughtfully to help bring underrepresented, you know, to target underrepresented populations and particularly bring them in because we've struggled with that historically in our jurisdiction. Have the number of has the number of new apprentices in your part of the country improved and why or why not? Yeah, so uh, it hasn't. I mean, in in 2019, we were really rolling. We we had kind of our our union was shrinking coming out of the recession of old you know oh nine ten, and then we really ramped up and we were in the process of starting to grow. Uh, really start to grow the union and had a very large apprenticeship program, 300 and some apprentices. And then COVID hit. We didn't bring in uh, more than a handful of new apprentices for two years. Um, we went from a program of 320, I think, down to a program of 125 apprentices. And so it's it's an ongoing struggle to to try and bring those numbers back up. But for us, Unlike in most most parts of the country where you have an employ you have tons of employment opportunity for apprentices, we have had a hard time keeping our apprentices employed since COVID. It's come out now. It's coming getting better now, but it it's a, been a real headwind. If if we can't employ apprentices, it's very difficult to convince the union to bring in more apprentices to our program. You mentioned the fact that when you ask a contractor for data or help with something, you then have to be able to go back at them and say, here's what we did with it. So your chapter has been a strong ally of Electri International. How do you encourage your members to take advantage of the research and education offered through Electri initiatives, or are they not interested? Oh, they're interested. They're they're really interested, but you have to put the you have to put it in front of them. Um, you know, oftentimes emails get put in. So when we have that end of the week podcast and there's a new electric report, we're putting it out in front of them. If there's some tie-in to that report to the local industry, hey, you know, this here's a report on workforce. We're having these workforce issues. This talks about it here. Um, teeing it up for them, making sure that they know it's there. Uh, and that's how we got to be NECA members and got to be Electri members to begin with. I started doing that before we became members of Electri and sharing that information. And that was the process that said that moved our board to say, OK, we see the value in this. Let's 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 get involved. So you're involved. What do you and your members bring to the Electric Council table? What do you say? You know, I'm really glad we're involved because we can help Electri with X. What are you bringing to the table? Yeah, I think both the St. Paul and Minneapolis chapters and Minnesota at large really can bring a lot of knowledge about limited energy and our limited energy programs. We have some pretty innovative programs, um, some uh, real opportunities to share success stories and challenges. That in that space, uh, I personally feel that that space is going to really change the industry in the next 10 years. So uh, I think there's that. I think there's also the outreach that we're doing to reach un underrepresented populations and diversify our, our workforce. Uh, we're doing a lot of innovative things that way. So I think those those are two areas that that uh, I know I've talked to Josh about and our contractors are really uh, bought into. Now, 
when you think about electric going forward, and now we're doing project selection, research project selection twice a year. They do one in the winter, they do another series in the summer. You'd say to me, you know, Carolyn, over the next couple of years, I really hope that Electri starts looking at what? What do you want to make sure that they're doing in terms of research or education over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think I think the next few years is going to be challenged. We're going to have we have this opportunity with what you know, what is traditionally inside work with all of this infrastructure investment, all of the investment on on for to you know, accommodate electric vehicles, solar, uh, large scale solar. We have these hyperscale data center projects going on. Uh, I think we're going to be busy with inside work for the next 10 years. I think after we get over that hump, the question will be, is the workforce that we built to do all of that work, the workforce we're going to need for the next 10 years? Because I feel like in the next 10 years, we're going to we're a lot of what is traditionally done as inside work today is going to become limited energy work. It just it's a more efficient technology. It's a faster technology. It's a smarter technology. It's a safer technology. It's a more efficient technology. So um, how are we going to manage that with our with our labor partners? How are we going to how are we going to figure that out? So I think understanding how we're going to meet the needs of today and then not screw up the workforce of tomorrow so we're still competitive, I think is really where um, the big picture questions I'm interested in Electri. One advantage of both Nika and Electri is the interaction that's offered among chapters, districts, and regional leaders. I mean, obviously, you're right across the river from Minneapolis. I lived out there when you all were in separate time zones in the summer. One of you, and I don't remember which one, one of you went on daylight saving time and the other one didn't. And that was interesting, to say the least. But anyway, what advice would you offer to other leaders who are involved with NECA about how to maximize their return on the investment that they're making when they participate in events and programs? What do they need to do other than just show up? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, you have to take advantage of those networking opportunities and share what you're doing. Uh, too many times we're all in our own little worlds doing our own little things. As a chapter manager, I'm just worried about St. Paul. You know, I need more and more. Uh, the Minneapolis chapter and the St. Paul chapter work together on on almost a daily basis. But it's so easy to get caught in your silo. And, and if I find, find something that works for St. Paul, the worst thing I can do is just do nothing. Mm-hmm. The best thing I can do is share it. And that's what's great about having, you know, some of the smartest, most forward-thinking, progressive uh, contractors out at a, an electric event, and is talking to them and trying to pull that rope so they share what their experiences are, and then being free-flowing and sharing what your experiences are. You have described yourself, and I am quoting on this one, as a curious, lifelong learner. Tell our audience what that means. Yeah, I I like needling into difficult problems. Uh, I didn't I I don't didn't come into this industry any traditional way. I'm an attorney by training. I practiced for a few years. I worked for the legislature. Tried to resolve some of the worked on some very very um, 
challenging issues. So one of the first issues that I worked on was uh, how to compensate victims of the 35W bridge collapse. Talk about infrastructure investments. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a huge negotiation. And but it was worth it. And when you, I was in the legislature and in the governor's office during the rollout of the ACA, and that was a huge change of how how things worked for healthcare, and what worked and what didn't, and got thrown into the worst kinds of problems that the, that that type of legislation uh, resulted in. And it's fun, it's hard work, and you know, other than the fact you don't get paid. Uh, you don't get any credit. You, the hours are terrible and your job relies on the next election cycle It's the best job in the world, because all you get to do is find a problem, attack it, encourage someone, encourage, uh, help an elected official, you know, hopefully make someone's life better. Now, for all the reasons I just delineated, I was done with politics and I was excited to come here and to learn a new industry. But the goal is the same. The goal is to make people's lives better, to make my electrical contractors' business is better, so they can employ more people. So the IBW is better. So we have a stable industry. So because that's what it's all about, and that's what I'm excited to do. And you know, the issues aren't the same in at at NECA scale as they were in state government, but they're just as important to the everyday lives of contractors and the employees. Some of us are better than others at accepting advice or giving advice. What would you like our audience to remember from today's interview? What's an important thing that you want them to go away and say, gosh, Luke said that and I really never thought of it that way. Yeah, I, I have two things. One is be curious. I think, I think too often in the construction industry writ large, we're not as curious as we should be. We're just kind of, we like, we don't adopt technology at, at the same rate as the rest of the world. We don't adopt changes. Certainly when you're talking about a unionized industry, you're not adopting changes to the workforce at nearly the breakneck pace that you see in, in outside of unionized industry. So be curious. You're not, you're not always going to get what you want, but that doesn't should, that should not stop you from being curious. And second, along the same lines, be relentless, relentless, commit yourself to relentless incrementalism. Relentless incremental, 1% better every day. At the end of the year, you're going to be 37 times better than you are today. Don't You don't have to bite off too much. And when you're working with contractors that sometimes don't want to change and the unions that sometimes don't want to change, it's not always great to swing for the fences, except the 1% and then try and do 1% tomorrow. And that's that's the way that over years, we can build a better industry. The people who either listen to or watch these conversations know that I always end the interview with the same question. So here it comes. What is the best advice that you ever received that really helped you to advance professionally or personally? Did, some, did something happen? Did somebody say something that stuck with you so long and so importantly, going back to when you were an attorney or on involved with the capital or now that you're a chapter executive yeah i mean I, i'd be curious relentless incrementalism i'd add a third one for this is you know understand what you can control and control it and let everything else go um you have 
a sphere of influence. And if you let the things outside that sphere get you down, you're not going to, you're not going to do the things that you can do. So figure out what, what are those things that you could control and control them, let go of the rest. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to make sure our audience knows? No, I'm just, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. I, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a regular listener. Thank you for that. We do appreciate it. And for everyone who is listening or watching, you can go to the website, electri.org. You can find the entire list of more than 60 interviews that we've done over the past two years with leaders from all aspects of electrical construction. Thank you so much for your time, Luke. And we will see you very soon, I presume, at the NECA convention. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us for today's Think Like a Leader conversation. You can access every interview in this series on our website, electri.org, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. This is a remarkable look inside the electrical construction industry, and it's yours for the listening.